Welcome to the Prompt to Page podcast, a partnership between the Jessamine County Public Library and the Carnegie Center for Literacy and Learning. I'm your host, librarian and poet, Carrie Green. Each episode, we interview a published writer who shares their favorite writing prompt. Our guest today is Andrew Schaefer. Andrew is the New York Times bestselling author of Hope Never Dies, an Obama Biden mystery, and over a dozen other humorous works of genre fiction, from mystery to horror. He is a five-time Goodreads Choice Award nominee. An Iowa native, Schaefer lives in Louisville with his wife, novelist Tiffany Rice. His latest release is the cozy mystery, Feel the Burn, a Bernie Sanders mystery. Welcome, Andrew, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So we did have Tiffany on, I think it was back in on episode seven. So we're glad to have you on as well. Yes, she warned me. (laughs) (laughs) She warned me. She says, have a prompt ready. And I was like, of course, that's the name of it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. As your bio notes, some of your novels are inspired by real people. Mm-hmm. which seems like a prompt in a, in and of itself in a way, and one that is probably both fun and challenging. Can you talk a little bit about what your process is like for writing about public figures? Yeah. So the public figures I write about are politicians. I've written about Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Obama, and the latest one is, is Bern, Bernie. And so what... What that process is like is I I was looking at politicians because they're sort of like in the pseudo public domain. They're not really public domain, but the chances of them suing you over anything are are very small unless you sort of go after their families or whatever, because they've made themselves public figures by being politicians. And, And so there's there's not much in terms of like legalities there to to wade through. And I mean, frankly, when I was writing about Donald Trump, the first politician I wrote about, my publisher was like, wouldn't it be amazing if he sued us? Think of that publicity. (laughs) (laughs) Alas, that did not happen. That book faded, (laughs) faded pretty quickly. But, but yeah, it's interesting. It is sort of a form of fan fiction almost. It's, it's a sort of form of satire. It sort of crosses all these sort of boundaries. Some people go, how, how can you write about people who are, you know, living or whatever, you know? And I'm like, it, it, it happens all the time on Saturday Night Live. You know, there's every, every week they're doing a different politician on there or something. This happens all the time in political cartoons. So I don't know why it's so sort of strange to some people that you would do it in in books. I think it's that you get into the minds of those characters, though, and you're trying to ascribe what their thoughts are and whatnot. But I had a, a, you know, a very simple process, which was when I was doing a book on Obama and Biden, I was like, I can't get into Obama's headspace. He's too cool for me. But I was like, I, I think I, I think I know what Joe's thinking. And in fact, Joe Biden did later read the first book in that series and and gave it a thumbs up. So I guess I got him pretty good. I don't I don't know about Bernie Trump, Bernie or Trump, but I know Joe liked mm-hmm. it. Yeah, well, that's something, right? <laughs> right, right. So you also brought up comedy and, you know, comparing it to Saturday Night Live. You've mm-hmm. also studied comedy writing at Second City, mm-hmm. I think. And that's an improv school. 
did that study of improv, did that influence your writing at all? Oh, oh, a ton. Yeah. I wasn't there for very long. I was, it's in Chicago, the second city. It's where a lot of comedians came up through and went to Saturday Night Live from there. And, and I was taking classes there for, I don't know, about a year, year and a half. At one point I was commuting every Sunday back and forth from Iowa, which was a four minute, four, four hour drive each way. And I was doing that in one day. And so it got, got kind of tiring, but I learned so much because, because the, the thing about improv is, and I'm not sure if, you know, people are familiar with it, but as a comedy form, it's, you're always thinking you're you're just given a prompt by an audience and it's always something like like random like someone could just yell out bananas and then you know a, a good improv team will do 15 minutes of the most hilarious stuff you've ever seen on bananas never to repeat it ever again but just sort of throwing it all out there and the way that they do that is they don't have filters they don't, they don't filter themselves. They just, whatever comes to mind is just what they say. And, and you have to be very open to new ideas. And especially when you're collaborating with other people in an improv group, there's a concept called yes and. So you don't say no to anything. You're always saying yes. And then you add your own sort of in stuff on the end of that. And so, you know, and you're trying to work together to sort of extend the scene. And if someone says, says, are you an alien? You don't say no, because you, you shut that scene down. You say, yes, I'm an alien. And, and then you sort of take that in a different direction. And so for writing, that's just been really, you know, invaluable to, to get my mind in that space of just saying, where can the scene go? Where does this go? Because I know the kind of things that can shut a scene down, you know, and I, there's this episode of the office with Michael Scott and an improv group. And, and every time he's asked to do some improv, he shows up and he has a gun <laughs> and he goes, I've got a gun. Uh, everybody give me your money or something. He Like he just introduces a gun into every scene and it just, it just kills the scene because everybody, nobody can do anything you know, <laughs> with that. And so over and over that happens. And I'm like, so there are certain ways that you can, you know, shut down a scene by, by introducing, you know, like something that's sort of too large for that scene or whatever like that. So yeah, it's, it's just a really interesting and, and fun way to think about responding to a writing prompt to let your mind go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What role do prompts play in your writing process? I mean, do you use them? Have you used them in the past? You know, I don't, I, I haven't used like formal prompts online, but, you know, I, if you boil down all of my books, they're, they're based on a prompt at some point. For instance, my Joe Biden and Obama book, I saw a picture of Joe Biden looking very lonely standing in the, in the White House with his aviator shades on staring out he has nothing to do and i just thought what could he be thinking about at this moment so i mean i, I use a lot of you know photo prompts if you will and and a lot of news stories and stuff too but i was just like what is he thinking about oh he kind of has a walter mitty existence where he's a detective and nobody else knows about this and so it it, it evolved over the years into into him being an actual detective in my book so so yeah, so th that's where I sort of get my my prompts is just 
just looking at a photo, looking at news articles. Could be a, it could be a social media meme. There were those Barack Obama and Joe Biden memes going around. And I said, oh, well, what, what if those were real? What if they really were like best friends behind the scenes? And I go, oh. And so I combined it with this other this picture that I thought of him being a detective. And I said, well, that, that would work out if they were just a couple of buddy detectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you want to share your prompt? No. no. <laughs> Sorry. See, see how that shuts. I thought it. you were supposed to say yes. And <laughs> I know. See, see how that shuts, shuts the conversation down when you, when you say no to something. Yeah. This actually, I was talking this over with my wife, Tiffany, and, and she was like, here's a great prompt. You need to share this one. And I was like, okay, I'll share this one. So this is actually hers, but, but think about a children's book or TV show or movie. And then think about where those characters are 20 years later down the line. So, you know, the, the, every, every, every children's book, you know, whether it's, Harry Potter or whatever ends with them, you know, living happily ever after or something. But then you think of well, what happens, you know, 20 years down the line, do they have PTSD from, I mean, you know, these were kids in, in a lot of these stories that you think about, I mean, has, has Charlie squandered his chocolate factory fortune and does he have to find an heir? Um, you know, there, there are just so many sort of unanswered questions out there that, that you have after after a happy happily ever after ending, especially for children, you go, what would this be like for adults somewhere down the line? And I think that's really it's really an interesting thought. And the the great thing is you don't have to. I mean, you know, for purposes of just you know fan fiction or whatever, you could write whatever you want. But if you were trying to get something published, it can be it. You know, you don't have to say this is Charlie and his chocolate factory. You can say. You can you can make up your own characters or whatever, but sort of keep that same vibe of of oh, as a kid, I was gift I was gifted a chocolate factory by this insane old man, and he left me a workforce that I had no idea what to do with them, and so this is my story of of how I became like the evil chocolate factory owner, and they rose up against me, you know. So that's just you know off the top of my head something that you know, that sort of inspires in me is just like, just a really weird direction for, for, for something to go in where you think, oh, happily ever after, it's never the ending, is it? Mm-hmm. And I think people do that a lot with like fairy tales or, oh, you know, mm-hmm. myth, you know, thing stories that people know well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just like, you know, there's, there's, uh, what if, what if the Greek gods were alive today? And what would they be doing, you know? And, and so there's, that's, it's always sort of a fun, fun prompt to play with and, and, and go in just fun directions with. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank Tiffany. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Tiffany, for another great prompt. Do you have any advice you'd like to give to our writers? You know, I I usually when someone asks me for advice, I, I give fake advice because, you know, just I want to protect my own spot as a writer. And so I give them fake advice that will just drive, lead them astray. But, you know, no, I'll, I'll give real advice, though. I think I think most writers say, so, you know, hear that, write what you write. Uh, 
write what you know is one that I hear a lot. And, and it doesn't mean that you can only write stuff about your own life. I think, you know, I mean, really on as a writer, early on as a writer, I sort of misinterpreted that. I was like, I'll write what you know. Oh, well, I've never been this, or I've never been this, but uh, you know, you can do research and sort of get into any, um, any sort of mindset you want for a character or something. And I think that I think that a lot of people start off their first work is usually something that's sort of autobiographical or memoir based, maybe slightly fictionalized, because they're just either they're afraid to jump into another reality or they've been told they've heard this advice and internalized it. And and I know I did, you know, at one point I was like, well, you know, and then you have someone else say, oh, well, don't, don't go to writing school. What you need to do is go out and experience life and then you can write about it. And I'm like, well, if I want to write about someone who's, you know, on a, on a whaling boat, I don't have to go on a whaling boat, do I? <laughs> you know, and, and I think for a long time, I sort of thought that, thought that was the case, but I mean, but just think about being a a reader first is that you've experienced so many lives in so many worlds through, through fiction, through memoirs, through nonfiction, that you do have a wealth of experience. It doesn't mean you have to leave your home for that experience. It does mean you have to, I think what it really means is you have to write what you know in terms of emotional truths. And so that you're not just copying the, the, you know, plot points from, from some somewhere, you know, you're actually trying to instill in something, you know, real emotion and, and your, your real, you know, feelings and stuff, you know, so, you know, it would be, I mean, I don't know, that's just, that's just kind of my take on it. I'm sure everybody has, has their own take on it, but but, you know, once I, once I heard that, it sort of clicked into places like, oh, okay. You know, like, like it would, it would be very difficult for me to write a book about someone, you know, say losing a child or something. I mean, I just don't, nothing to compare that to. So emotionally, I don't know if I'm, you know, the person to write that type of book without any kids, but, but so, you know, I try to write from sort of where, where my emotions take me and, and where I've been, you know, figuratively, not literally. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that is kind of one of those, I mean, it's almost a cliche, the right what you know, that gets yeah. bandied about. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's, that's a good way of looking at it. And, and the other one that I have, though, is is often attributed to Ernest Hemingway, which is write drunk, edit sober, which a lot of people take that one literally as well. And <laughs> I'm just going to say that Ernest Hemingway if any, if you've read a lot about him, he never wrote while he was drinking. He wrote, he got up at like 5 a.m. in the morning, wrote for four or five hours, and then he started drinking the rest of the day. So, so he was always sober when he wrote. What, what that quote actually means though is write drunk, which means write without abandon. And then edit sober means to, you know, sort of you put on your sober thinking cap and you look at your, what you've written logically. And again, that sort of goes back around to the, the improv stuff, you know, I mean, a lot of times improv doesn't make sense, but you know, it's funny. Now, if you were going to go back and look at like a, if you'd filmed your improv or something, or take some ideas from improv for a story, you need to go back and look at those logically. It can't just, you know, be as random as improv is. So I think that, write drunk, edit sober is great advice as long as you don't take it literally as well. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, there's probably a lot of things that we should not take literally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> about writing or, <laughs> or other things as well. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us and for, for sharing another prompt. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on and for, you know, taking Tiffany's writing prompt in place of my own. You know, it's, <laughs> I th- it was better than anything I had, so. Well, we don't care where it comes from. Lots of lots of writers have shared, you know, their favorite writing prompt. Just, you know, that's not necessarily one that they came up with, but, you know, one that they like and turn to. So, so well, it doesn't I, matter. <laughs> I hope people have fun with it. I think I think it is a fun, a fun prompt, though. Thank you for listening to Prompt to Page. To learn more about the Jessamine County Public Library, visit jesspublib.org. Find the Carnegie Center for Literacy and Learning at carnegiecenterlex.org. Our music is by Archipelago, an all-instrumental musical collaboration between three Lexington-based university professors. Find out more about Archipelago, Songs from Quarantine, Volumes 1 and 2, at the links on our podcast website.